Hi. So I'll read Psalm 80, verses 7 to 19 first. Psalm 80. I haven't got a page number, I'm afraid. Psalm, everyone, I think no one's got a red Bible. Psalm 80, verses 7 to 19. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the roots your right hand has planted the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. The second reading is John 15, verses 1 to 17. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other.
Thanks, Corin. Morning, everyone. Uh, let me add my welcome to Kate's, and I'm great to be with you this morning. And uh, please keep that passage open, John 15, and you've got an outline for the talk on the handouts that we have today. Purpose for his people is that we bear fruit. Jesus says in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The Christian life is, according to Jesus, for fruitfulness. In this passage, Jesus describes himself as, uh, describes us rather, as branches in the vine. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. We began thinking about this last week. Now, the purpose of a vine is to bear fruit, isn't it? If you grow a vine, you don't do it primarily for aesthetics. You do it because you want to grow grapes. You probably want to drink wine. And so the purpose of being disciples of Jesus is that we bear fruit, that we bear fruit for God's glory. We said last week Christian fruit is anything that brings glory to God. Christ-like character, bringing blessing to others, helping people to become followers of Jesus. The driving concern of this passage is that we bear fruit. And the central command is that we remain in Jesus. Remain in me, Jesus says, again and again. We need to remain connected to Jesus, depending on Jesus, drawing our life from him. If we don't, we can do nothing. We cannot bear fruit by ourselves, only as we remain connected to him. Now, this analogy of the vine is not a new one. That's why we had the reading from Psalm 80. Throughout the Old Testament, God describes his people as a vine. So Psalm 80 speaks of God bringing his vine out of Egypt and driving out other nations in order to plant his vine. The vine is established. It took roots and grew. It spread out so that its branches covered the mountains. We might have some slides. Didn't we have those And I must apologize for the boring nature of the slides. You need to try and imagine in the background to the slides a beautiful vine full, kind of weighed down with fruit. But in this psalm, this vine is like no vine that's ever grown in this world. It's a branch, its branches cover the mountains and reach down to the sea. In Isaiah 27, verse 6, God says his ultimate purpose for his people is that they cover the world with fruits. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? The world covered with branches that are bearing fruit for God's glory. And yet in Psalm 80, we learn that the vine has failed. The vine has been cut down. It's been burned with fire. Israel has failed to fulfill its purpose and be fruitful. And so the prayer of Psalm 80 is, restore us, Lord, revive us, bring new life into us. Now, the disciples in the upper room would have been very familiar with this analogy. And so as Jesus speaks to his 11 friends on the night before his death, it would have been pretty powerful for him to say to them, I am the true vine. See, everything God promised, everything God purposed for Israel is now fulfilled in Jesus and those who follow him. Just think of the fruit that has come from those 11 men, the first apostles. Think how God's kingdom has grown so that his vine now indeed covers the world. 
You see, friends, what we're engaged in as followers of Jesus is something really big. It's not just a hobby. It's not just a religious club. We are part of God's plan for this world. God's purpose for us is that we bear fruits. And that means we must remain in Jesus. As Paul says in Colossians 2, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, the challenge for those of us who've been Christians for a while is to keep going, to keep growing, to keep bearing fruit. It's so easy to settle, isn't it? To take your foot off the accelerator just to coast. Become a bit cynical, maybe, about your ability to grow. To lose hope that you'll ever overcome that persistent sin. To assume that your current level of maturity is probably as far as you're going to get this side of eternity. To give up praying for people. Give up any hope that your unbelieving friends will come to faith. We all long to bear fruit, don't we? And maybe you can look back in your life and there have been seasons of real fruitfulness. How can we get back? How can we be restored and revived so that we bear fruit today? That central command, remain in Jesus. How can we do that? Three points. Remain in his love, heed his words, submit to the Father's pruning. Remain in his love. Jesus says, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Just pause and let that sink in. For the person who's come to Jesus in faith, now united to him, you are not only forgiven, you are loved. You are loved with the same love that the eternal Father has for his Son. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. It's a love that was demonstrated most fully at the cross. As Jesus says in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so Jesus says, remain in my love. Not retain my love. Not Keep earning my love. He's not saying we need to do something to keep him loving us. No, Christ's love for us is unconditional and unchanging. You and I are as loved and delighted in as we will ever be. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. The love of Jesus for us doesn't change, but our awareness of it does. Remain in my love means remain in conscious awareness of it. Hold on to the reality that I love you. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays that his readers would grasp the height and depth and length and breadth of Christ's love for them. It's not that Christ's love gets bigger, but that our grasp of its limitless dimensions grows. Tim Keller says, we need to see that, the, that most of our problems in the Christian life, most of our struggles arise because of a failure to remain in Christ's love. Just think, self-pity, grumbling, jealousy towards others. 
arise because of a failure to appreciate that the honor and the privilege that I enjoy as one who is loved by God. I am blessed and highly favored. I don't need to envy others. I certainly don't need to pity myself. Fear comes from a failure to realize that the only security I really need, I've already got. I'm safe in Christ's loving hands. How do we handle criticism or rejection from others? By reminding ourselves, by preaching to ourselves, I'm a child of the king. The only one whose opinion really matters says, I'm okay. He accepts me. He delights in me. This person might be criticizing me, yes, and that's hard, but it's not going to crush me because I've got this ballast in the love of Christ. You see, growth in the Christian life doesn't come primarily by trying harder, but by believing better, believing more deeply, appreciating more fully, knowing more of this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul goes on in Ephesians 3 to say it's as we grasp more of this love that we will grow to the measure of all the fullness of God. How do we grow toward maturity in the Christian life? By grasping more of Christ's love. It's why our vision statement as a church describes a follower of Jesus as someone resting in grace and striving to love. Yes, we're called to love God with everything we have, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But before we can love, we need to know that we are loved. We love because he first loved us. So if we're going to bear fruit for God's glory, we must remain in his love. Secondly, we must heed Jesus' words. Verse 7, Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When the branch is connected to the vine, it it draws out the sap and the the nutrients and the moisture that it needs to, to live, to grow. And so for us, if we're connected to Jesus, then his life and power enter us. And that comes through his words. His living, active, powerful words. Part of what it means for us to remain in Jesus and for Jesus to remain in us is for his words. See, if we're going to bear fruit for God's glory, it's vital that we're feeding on the word of God, taking it into ourselves. It's one thing to to read the Bible for information, even to read it for inspiration, but it's another to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as Paul says in Colossians 3. Psalm 19 says the word of God is sweeter than honey. It's something to to taste, to consume. Psalm 1 speaks about the person who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on the law day and night. They're like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf never withers, who's bearing fruit in season. And that word meditate has the idea of chewing chewing God's word over in your minds. And so it means that we we need to digest the word so that it comes inside of us, becomes part of us, shapes us, our priorities, our values, our desires. John Bunyan was a Puritan preacher and author. He wrote the famous Pilgrim's Progress. 
And when you read that book, it is uh, amazing how many biblical references and allusions uh, it contains. Charles Spurgeon, who was 18th century, 19th century preacher in London, said of John Bunyan that he was so saturated with the word of God, if you cut him, his blood would be bibline. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, he's, he's so full of Jesus' words that they, they're what animates him. He's got Christ's word running through his veins. It's what gives him life. So we need to read it. We need to study it. We need to meditate on it. We need to memorize the word of God. If we do, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Because what we wish will be directed by his words. And if we're really taking Jesus' words into ourselves, then it will show in how we live. We'll be putting it into practice in our lives. We'll be walking in joyful obedience to Jesus' commands. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, Jesus says part of the way that we keep that awareness of his love for us is as we keep his commands. Again, it's not that our obedience earns his love, but as we live in obedience, walking closely with our Lord, then we will experience an assurance of his love. We'll also experience, Jesus says, immense joy. Verse 11 is a wonderful promise, isn't it? Just as Jesus rejoiced in keeping his Father's commands and experiencing his Father's love, so we are promised Jesus' joy in us as we keep his commands and experience his love. If your life has not been particularly fruitful recently, if, if you've been lacking joy, could it be that you've been neglecting his word? If you want to bear fruit for God's glory, you must heed his words so they're remaining in you and you're putting them into practice. As the kids' song says, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. So remain in his love, heed his words. Thirdly, submit to the Father's pruning. There's a serious warning in this passage, isn't there? Jesus says, verse 2, that the Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. You see, if a branch is completely lacking in fruit, it shows that the branch was never truly connected to the vine. It might have had a, a formal connection, but not a vital one, not, not a life-giving one. So the, the fruit in our lives is not what makes us Christian. It, it's not what connects us to the vine. It's what shows that there is a connection. It's the evidence. As Jesus says, verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The fruit doesn't make you a disciple. It shows that you are. Now, for all of us, there will be seasons of more fruitfulness and less fruitfulness. I don't think it's stretching the analogy here to talk of seasons. 
There'll be winter seasons. And there'll be seasons in which the father, the, the gardener, is pruning us. I look back a couple of years when I took extended leave due to burnout and depression. And that was not a fruitful season for me. It was painful. It was a season of pruning. But I can see very clearly now that it was for my good, that my father was cutting away things in me that were hindering growth. And so if we look at our lives and we're not being very fruitful, how do we know? How do we know if it's because the father's pruning us or because we've never been truly connected to the vine? In a sense, it doesn't really matter. The response is the same. Cling to the vine. Either get connected or restore that connection. Stay connected. That's the Father's purpose in pruning us, to strengthen our connection to the vine so that we become even more fruitful. I mean, that's the gardener's job, isn't it? The vine dresser, to bring out the very best in the vine. And I'm told that in vine, vine growing, pruning is absolutely essential. It's, in fact, the most significant thing if you want to stimulate life and growth in the vine. The Father's pruning of us can be painful, but it's actually a sign of his love and care. This last week, I pruned one of the, I pruned one of the bushes um, in the garden. It was a bit of a mess, and to be honest, it still is. Um, I really just kind of hacked away at it for a while. Um, and I was thinking as I did that, that is nothing like the Father's pruning of us. He is very careful and tender. He knows what he's doing. No, no cut, no stroke of the knife is in vain or careless. Every cut is done to protect, to develop, to teach and train, to enable us to be more fruitful. Perhaps the best commentary on this is Hebrews 12. Do we have that on a slide? No. Okay, that's fine. Uh, let me read it to you. Hebrews 12. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest, or a fruit of righteousness and peace, for those who've been trained by it. It's talking about children and their discipline from their, their parents. And children need training, don't they? They need correction and discipline. And usually at the time, they might complain bitterly about it because, well, they lack the perspective, don't they? They lack the wisdom to see that it's really for their good. Um, Moya said to us recently that she was thankful for the ways that we had parented her as a young child the boundaries that we set, the discipline that we, we gave. Um, she wasn't always grateful at the time, <laughs> but she's able to look back now with some perspective. 
and see that it was for her good. That was a validating conversation to have. <laughs> we were far from perfect as parents, and we were doing our best according to what we could see. But God's training and discipline of us is done with perfect wisdom and care. And so the author says, how much more should we submit to the Father? You might be enduring hardship right now, and maybe you're struggling to see any good in it. It just feels painful and tough. Let me encourage you to submit, to trust him. He knows what he's doing, and one day you'll see. Let me encourage you to allow that hardship to push you into deeper connection to Jesus, to cling to the vine, to press into his word, to call out to him in prayer, to remind yourself of his love demonstrated beyond any doubt at the cross. He is for you. He cares for you. He's refining you so that you can be even more fruitful. Share in the Lord's Supper. As you come forward and receive the bread and wine, receive Christ afresh. Receive his love. Renew your trust in him. And as you eat and drink, feed on Christ in your hearts. Pray that his word might dwell in you and bear much fruit for, your, for his glory. Shall we pray now? We pray in the words of Psalm 80, restore us, Lord. Revive us. Renew our union with Jesus. We dare to pray, do whatever it takes to deepen our connection with him. Help us to trust your wise and careful discipline. We pray, Lord, plant your word in us, shape us by it, fashion us in your likeness more and more, and empower us, Lord, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and bear much fruit to your glory. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.